Chapter Six of Eight Girls and a Dog by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Hester's Dinner. Isn't it splendorous? cried Betty as they reached the beach. Hester Lavendrick, you are the most exasperating girl. You just sit there like a bump on a log. Why don't you shout or turn a handspring or do something to express your delight? Let the dogs delight to bark and bite said hester it isn't my nature to i'm enjoying it all just as much as you are but i don't make such a fuss about it well i don't see how anyone can look at that great boiling blue ocean and those jolly big waves coming up kersmash and not feel like yelling i shall have to burst into song columbia the gem of the ocean Betty, you haven't a speck of romance in your nature, said Hester, laughing. Now, if Daisy were here, she'd quote an appropriate ditty instead of howling a national air. Pooh, I'd rather have real patriotism than all Daisy's make-believe romantic notions. She puts on all that, but she can't fool me. Oh, I don't think she pretends always. Yes, she does. She's never sincere. And that's the one thing I can't stand. I'd rather be honest and say what I mean than to be the petted favorite of everybody, and she is. Marguerite has so many talents, put in Hester. She does everything so well that people can't help praising her. She doesn't do things well, went on Betty. She pretends to, but she's lazy, and she thinks whenever she gets half a chance. Oh, dear, said Hester. Don't let's be so hard on poor Daisy especially when she's hard at work getting our breakfast let's take a run to the end of the boardwalk and back and then go up to the house for even a snail would have breakfast ready by that time the girls got up and shook off a flying shower of sand which had nearly buried poor timmy lou but he did some shaking on his own account and scampered along beside them all at once he gave a squeal and darted ahead and then flew back with the great news written all over his funny little face he's found somebody said hester who is it tim tim flew around the corner of an old pier the girls followed and there leaning cosily against a post were marguerite and nan did you come for us asked marguerite we were just going to start we've been here a long while and we've had the loveliest time you have exclaimed esther how did you get here the two scrap graces laughed and nan said well you see it was such a pleasant morning and such a short walk we left our hats to home and not to disturb the rest of you we climbed out of our window and crawled down that low sloping roof and jumped off then didn't you get our note said betty what note Oh, girls, there's no breakfast ready or anything. Well, confessed Marguerite, when we jumped down by the shed steps, there was a pail of milk, and we just took a drink, and truly we didn't mean to stay so long. But Nanny's been writing a poem, and I hated to interrupt her till she finished. Yes, yes, said Betty. That's all very well, but I'm hungry as a bear, and I'm going home to forage. The others agreed to this, and Betty and Hester led their wheels, while they all walked along together. 
Halfway home, they met Helen and Jessie coming down to the beach. A general explanation followed, and Marjorie exclaimed, Well, we are the best set of housekeepers I ever did see, but perhaps that duck of a Millicent has a gay old breakfast all ready for us. It would be just like her to do it, and I say let's hurry up and not keep her waiting. Helen and Jessie turned back with them to see the fun, and the six, with Timmy Lou at their heels, burst into the house. No one was in sight, but as the little dog wagged his sagacious tail and hopped upstairs, they all followed and bundled into Millicent's room. That absurd damsel was still in bed, propped up against a pillowy background, and a red shawl draped her shoulders, and a wobbly wreath of goldenrod lay gracefully on her black curls, while a shaking mound under the bed covers was the only indication of Marjorie's presence. Rosie sat on the edge of a chair, her hands tightly clasped, her eyes wide open, enthralled by the tales of magical experiences that Millicent was dramatically pouring forth. Why Millicent Payne? Why Marjorie Bond? For goodness sakes! Well, you are nice ones. Look at that tray. Did you ever these exclamations being all shouted at once conveyed no intelligence and the serene millicent waved her sceptre which was a long stalk of goldenrod and said minions and slaves how dare you rush unannounced into the royal presence and where in the world have you been concerted explanation followed and Marguerite protested so prettily that she would gladly have prepared breakfast if she had received the notice before she jumped out of the window. That, of course, she was forgiven. Timmy Lou had stationed himself before the table, which held the tray of empty dishes, and sat up motionless. His forepaw extended in his very best beggarly manner. You precious poodle puppy, said Marjorie, catching him up. You haven't had a single speck to eat this day, and I think it's a shame, so I do. Girls, we're a high old cooking club, and we've been here nearly twenty-four hours, and we've had one meal. Now I call a conference of the powers, and let's settle on some definite line of action, or we'll have the agent from the Associated Charities come down, giving us soup tickets. Rosie, won't you please take Tim down to the kitchen and give him some bread and milk? and the blue ribbon cooking club will please come to order marjorie had on her presidential pose and when that was the case the girls always became rational and quit fooling but hester broke in with her slow english drawl miss president i've a suggestion to make with the exception of helen and myself who are breakfasting out and the somewhat eccentric acting lady in the red scarf and her conspirator who breakfasted in their room our members have had neither bit nor sup i therefore propose that helen and i be excused from the meeting with the understanding that we will agree to any decisions the rest of you may come to and that we will go down and get breakfast for the crowd this speech was received with enthusiastic clapping of hands and cries good for you go ahead furthermore hester went on as it is already half after eleven, I move we let bygones be bygones, and make this breakfast a dinner. All right, said Marjorie. Go on, and cook whatever you like. 
whichever way you want to so the english sister and her chum disappeared now my fellow sufferers said their president we have got to have some sort of a system we thought it was going to be lots of fun to do all the work and already you are sneaking out of it do you want to give up the scheme and go home no chorused the crowd well then here's my plan and anyone can approve upon it who wants to we'll have three meals a day with dinner at noon and a supper or high tea at six o'clock and we'll take turns by twos two is enough to have in the kitchen at once besides rosie and then having four pairs of people and three meals we won't have to cook the same kinds of things each time am i clear clear as mud said millicent your plan would be lucid to a doddering idiot that's why you understand it so thoroughly returned the president with a withering glance at the enchanted princess now helen and hester are getting dinner to-day so suppose marguerite and nan will take charge to-night the millikins and i will get breakfast for you to-morrow morning and then we'll do it too and betty and jessie can dine us and so on over again all agreed that the plan was fair and marguerite announced that any one who felt at all incapable would call on her for assistance at any time and that she would always be glad to cook whether it was her turn or not betty sniffed a little and said that if daisy was on time with her scheduled performances that was all that would be expected or required of her at which marguerite looked injured but put her good intentions into practice at once by running down to help hester the kitchen was already a scene of action hester possessed administrative power as well as executive ability and while she roasted the beef and made the soup she directed her helpers helen and rosie so that everything was going on in the most systematic manner oh do let me help you said marguerite what are you going to have i know how to cook a few things said hester and i know two soups bean and tomato bean is the best but we didn't have any beans and anyway you have to soak them overnight so i'm making the other let me see you make it i do love to watch people cook what do you do first why i've just put the tomatoes on to heat one apiece that's nine cut up in a quart of water then i threw in with them a small onion cut in bits a couple of stalks of celery and a little parsley i would have put in a bay leaf if i had it but i haven't then a tablespoonful of sugar sugar and soup i've never heard such a thing oh yes in tomato soup and then a little pepper and a teaspoon of salt now while that's cooking i put a large tablespoonful of butter in this tiny spider it melts quickly and then i stir in a tablespoonful of flour you see it's a thin smooth paste now the tomatoes are boiling so i'll have to turn it in and stir while it thickens have you the colander ready rosie now i strain it all through the colander into this big bowl and then turn it back again into the kettle and set it on the back of the range until we want to use it now that's done and it's beautiful too commented marguerite i say hester let's have a salad no said hester decidedly i can't make salad dressing and i'm running this dinner myself you can have a salad when it's your turn if you want to help go and set the table 
Hester's manner was brusque and very matter-of-fact, but she meant no offense, and Marguerite knew it. Come on, Rosie, cried the merry matron. I'll show you how to set the table. Goodness, Millicent, what are you doing? Millicent, evidently freed from her enchantment, stood on the dining table with a kerosene lamp in one hand and a lamp chimney in the other. The lampshade was on her head, and she was with difficulty holding the swing lamp while she filled it. Why didn't you take the lamp down? began Marguerite. Who's the lamplighter of this establishment? I'd like to know. This is the only correct and elegant way to fill a swing lamp. It is a patent way, and recommended by all the crowned heads of Europe, of which I am one. Now you see, I set down my can, then my chimney, replace the shade, and there you are, said Millicent. And Millicent sprang off the table and betook herself and her can to the grotto. Oh, there's kerosene all over the table. Shall I scrub it, miss? said Rosie anxiously. No, said the matron. Just wipe it off with a dry cloth. Now lay the felt in the tablecloth, so. No, wait, Rosie, get it perfectly straight. Almost straight is crooked, you know. There, that will do. Marguerite arranged the embroidered centerpiece in place just as Helen came in with a dish of fruit. This is our dessert, she announced. Set it right here, said Marguerite. Just the thing for the center of the table. Now, Helen, you finish showing Rosie how to set the table, will you? I've promised to help Hester make the Yorkshire pudding. But the pudding was already made in browning. Oh, I wanted to see you do it, said the aggrieved Marguerite. What did you put in? It's awfully easy, said Hester. And yet, so few people make it right. I just took a quart of milk, no, I only took part of it at first. Well, first of all, I beat two eggs very light, and added a teaspoonful of salt, and two tablespoonsful of flour, and about a third of the quart of milk. Then I beat all that to a nice smooth batter, and added the rest of the milk. Then I turned it into a boiling hot baking pan, with about three tablespoonfuls of nice beef dripping, and gravy from the roasting joint. Now it is nearly cooked, so I add a little more gravy from the joint pan. Your expressions are so funny, Hester. I never heard of a joint pan before. Why, what do you call it? Oh, I don't know. Meat pan, I suppose. Then Betty invaded the kitchen and peeped into the soup kettle, remarking, I don't think there's very much there. I could eat all that myself. What else is there, Hester? Hester's menu seems small to hungry Betty, and she said so, and Marguerite observed, I offered to make a salad, but Hester said no. We'll do it all the same, said Betty. Hester may rule Britannia if she wants to, but she can't rule Hilarity Hall. Come on, Daisy, let's mutiny as peeler-in-chief. I'll peel some tomatoes, and you stir up a mayonnaise. All right, said Marguerite, or rather, as Hester is managing this dinner, she can stir while I dump in the things. Marguerite was great on mayonnaise, and she broke two eggs, daintily separating the whites and the yolks, and put the lather in the soup plate, stirring them round and round with a silver fork. Then she added oil, drop by drop at first, then a trifle faster, as the dressing began to thicken. Here, Hester, it's all nonsense to say you can't do this. And you, Stoker, 
Come and stir while I hunt up some more ingredients. So Hester stirred away briskly, but evenly, and added oil while Marguerite dropped in a tablespoonful of vinegar at intervals. Then she flirted in a dash of cayenne and sprinkled in a tablespoonful of salt, and then, taking the dish into her own hands, gave it a final whisk or two and declared it completed. Betty had her tomatoes pared carefully and cored with an apple core. Then Marguerite arranged them on a few crisp lettuce leaves and filled the centers with her dressing. And now all was ready, and Betty announced dinner by sounding a bicycle bell. There was no table bell to be found, so she blocked her bicycle beside her chair and explained to Rosie that she must answer the summons. The girls came flying to their places at table with the alacrity of horses in a well-ordered fire department. And Timmy Lou was so excited that he jumped up into Marjorie's chair without realizing what he was doing. The Duchess brushed him out with scant ceremony, giving him a cracker to console himself with, but Tim spurned this and sat up begging for sugar. Rosie proved to be a deft waitress, as she brought in the soup and placed it before Marguerite, who presided very prettily. But a hungry howl rent the air as the cover was removed, for the soup looked very scant. Never mind, said the tactful matron. We'll divide it evenly, and we'll have several other courses. Fish? asked Jessie, hopefully, for she was fond of it. No, said Hester, feeling as if she had defrauded the girl somehow. But there's a beautiful salad. Hester's self-respect returned, however, with the next course, for the Yorkshire pudding was pronounced wonderful, and the roast was tender and beautifully cooked. It doesn't seem a very big roast for two dollars and ten cents, does it? said Marguerite, thinking of her accounts. Don't be prosaic, Daisy, said Nan. Never count the cost during the feast. Then the salad was brought, and enjoyed and much complimented, and then the great dish of fruit was passed around. I didn't make any pastry, said Hester, apologetically, for I had no time, and I thought the ripe fruit would do as well. Yes, indeed, said Marjorie. I love pears. Ow! And simultaneously Betty made a wry face and left the table. What is the matter? Ugh! The fruit is all kerosene. The luckless lamplighter looked up at the swing lamp, and sure enough, it was still dripping. I must have put in too much oil, she said calmly, scrutinizing it with interest, and it, it overflew. I should think it did, wailed Jessie, looking at her pretty centerpiece spotted with drops of oil. It won't hurt any, said Marguerite. I'll wash it for you myself. Is there any more fruit? But there wasn't and the girls didn't care very much anyway, and leaving the table to Rosie, they all went out to the veranda. End of chapter 6